Well, it's good to be able to get together with the guys and get into the Word. We've covered all kinds of topics with ironworks. You know, um, it's that scripture there, you know, in Proverbs, it talks about as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens the count- countenance of his friend. That's, what, that's one of the things we're wanting to do is sharpen each other, make us to, to be the man that God's called us to be. And, and um, sometimes, you know, uh, when you're sharpening something, uh, you know, the sparks fly. <laughs> you know, uh, um, when you're grinding there in the shop, uh, some, some blade. And, and uh, I remember as a kid just loving that. Uh, my dad would find stuff that I'd be on the grinder that I just ground down to nothing for no reason. Uh, and it was because I like sparks. Uh, and um, and uh, so then my dad taught me how to sharpen blades and stuff and uh, for, for real, because uh, he said, well, you want to grind? I'll show you how to do that. And so we uh, I learned some of those things. But, um, you know, uh, the sparks fly because, uh, you know, uh, there's some heat and some chipping and stuff that's going on there. And, and uh, that's, that's sometimes what is required uh, for us as men uh, to, to actually be moved, uh, to, to do some things that are different and not just to settle for, for mediocrity and just do what we always do as guys. And I, I think that's part of the problem today with men in America is we've just settled. We've settled for a lot of stuff. We've settled to let our wives lead the home. We've settled uh, for our, our walk to be sort of a poser walk in America where the men are like, yeah, God bless America and I'm paying my taxes and I'm joining the Kiwanis Club and I'm doing all that stuff. But, you know, I, I'm just kind of a nominal Christian in America. That, that's the man who's just kind of settled for mediocrity. And, and, um, and then, you know, just attitude, you know, uh, about the way we think about stuff, you know. And, and um, the word goes contrary to a lot of the things that we feel and think about ourselves. And and so the sparks fly sometimes when we talk about issues. And, um, and um, you know, uh, one of the things that you have to know is that's a good thing. It keeps us sharp when the sparks fly. Um, I always get a little nervous when, when somebody comes up to me, oh, Pastor Brett, I agree with everything you say. That scares me to death. I'll tell you why. Because I don't even agree with everything I say. I mean, I, 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 I can't imagine actually saying that about anybody other than the Bible. Uh, I really can't say that I would ever just really, because, you know, it depends on what mood you're in, you're going to change opinion anyway. Uh, um, I love the stability of the word that way. But, um, but that's, that's the reason the word is so good is because it sort of sharpens us. And, um, you know, the sword of the spirit, we talked about that as one of the tools that we have that God has given to us. And uh, man, we want to keep it sharp. We want to keep our swords sharp. And uh, that's one of the things we learned. Keep it handy, keep it sharp. Those were the things that we talked about back when we were doing an ironworks on, um, on you know, spiritual warfare and, and, and the weapons of our warfare, stuff like that. Um, you know, it's, it's great though. I see good fruit coming from the ironworks study. Uh, I actually have good news and bad news. Um, I, I, the good news is I've had a lot of reports uh, either directly from some of your wives or indirectly through your wife to my wife or uh, your wife to Judy to me. Like, uh, you know, it, it gets back to me that, man, some of you guys are really taking some of this stuff uh, to heart and, and making some differences and changes and, and how the Lord's, uh, you know, really blessing your families and stuff. It's really good. I've got great reports of dads doing family devotions. Uh, one wife said, my husband not one time have, has ever done a family devotion. And then one night he just said, family, we're going to go um, after dinner. We're going to go sit in the living room. And he gave this great little family devotion. And he's been doing it uh, weekly ever since. Uh, and it was, you know, kind of one of those things that were kind of, you know, 
me poking you a little bit on that one. Uh, and uh, for some of you, the, the sparks would fly because you've never done family devotions. Um, and if you haven't done them still and you've got kids in your house, uh, start doing family devotions. Sparks need to fly this morning. Uh, we'll get up to the grinding wheel, you know, and, 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 and sharpen your life and your family. And uh, man, that's the one thing you can't take back either. Your kids will grow up right out from under you. Uh, you older gentlemen know what I'm talking about, don't you, man? It seems like, you know, Joey, Brookie, and Casey were just little tiny preschoolers like three weeks ago to me. It really does, you know, and, and I remember hearing old dudes say that, going, that's just an old dude. You know, he's, he's just a little kooky, a little too many years, you know. Uh, I'm that guy now. I'm saying, no, it really goes fast. Your kids grow up. And, you know, um, we did a lot of family devotions in my household, but my biggest regret is we didn't do more. I can't believe I had all that opportunity. I could have done it every night if I wanted to. And now my kids are grown up, uh, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's something that's just not, not possible now to do. Um, but it's neat because I still get into the Word with my kids, uh, which is kind of cool. You know, even though, you know, they've been out of the house and stuff like that, I can, uh, I can still hook up and talk with my kids about the Word, about the Lord, and and that's a privilege. And, uh, but I hope you guys, especially with young kids, set that pace early. I'm hearing good, good reports about that. That's great. Um, um, I've also uh, heard reports of guys being more gentle uh, with their wives, which is really good to hear too. Um, man, we can be gruff. We can be kind of jerks. Uh, isn't it amazing that a, a woman even wants to live with you at all? Uh, that's an amazing thing to me, because uh, uh, I don't even want to live with myself. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's like uh, I, I, I sometimes think, man, you want a jerk, you know, and I'm, I'm always doing this, I'm always doing that. But I love how um, the Lord has put it within the heart of a woman to want to be with her husband. Um, you know, and it's funny because as guys, we kind of see how we get it, why we like to be with our wives. I mean, it's an awesome thing to have a, a wife that we love and uh, but but the, the idea of her wanting to stay with me for this long, that's amazing. Um, and so uh, it, with that in mind, man, to, to really treat her uh, like the treasure she really is. And, and like we did that whole study on the, the husbands dwelling with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife, you know, as it says there in, in, in Peter. You know, uh, here's the thing. I hear the good reports, but, but because of the good and all the stuff that some guys are doing, I think it's, it's making other wives start to say, hey, wait a minute, I wish my husband would go to Ironworks. I wish, I wish they would hear that. And here's what I, here's what I want you guys to think about. I, I want you to take the stuff that we're learning here and try to spread the love, you know, try to take what we're learning here and go find a brother who's not here and either drag his carcass down here on an ironworks, or maybe better yet, take him out to coffee and cover some of the stuff that we've covered. I mean, a lot of you guys take notes. Uh, go through your notes with a guy and say, hey, here's what we talked about at ironworks, and what do you think about this? You know, and just over coffee or breakfast, you know, you could, uh, um, wouldn't it be great if, you know, I don't know, we got several hundred guys here this morning, but uh, if we busted that out twice as many guys, treating their wives with love and kindness and honor and, uh, and doing family devos and, and guys acting uh, like godly gentlemen that we're called to be, like we talked about in our last Ironworks uh, session. Um, guys that are struggling with pornography, you guys can go and help those guys and encourage them. We, we did a whole session on that. Uh, we'll probably need to do another one on that. Um, and uh, all the different topics we've done. Uh, maybe you, you missed one. Uh, maybe it's you hooking up with a guy uh, and going over an ironwork study online 
you know, it's an easy free download, just, and maybe you could watch it with them and, and then talk about it afterwards and, and discuss some of those things. There's all kinds of things we could do to sharpen one another and encourage each, each other, and especially the guys that aren't here. Um, and I do hear uh, things once in a while. Uh, I got a note anonymously. Somebody handed me this. It was actually, I think one of my staff members handed me this. No, I think this was in the offering. It was in the offering and somebody gave this to me, so I have no idea who this is. But uh, this, is, this is, I don't know if I, I, I wanna laugh or cry on this one. It said, Pastor Brett, could you address these issues at Ironworks? My husband, number one, thinks because he works eight hours a day, he does not need to work at home, no mowing, etc. Number two, because I'm a stay-at-home mom, he says it's all his money. Okay, so let's do a vote. How many of you guys think because the man works eight hours a day, he shouldn't do any mowing or garbage taking out or anything like that? Raise your hand. How many of you guys think that's one, two? Okay, Tad, <laughs> Pastor Tad, and Pastor Chris. Great. My pastoral staff. Um, so two guys out of hundreds. How many of you guys think, here's a good one. How many of you guys think, not that, you know, polling or voting is the way we discern good doctrine, but it is kind of funny. Because I'm a stay-at-home stay mom, he says it's all his money. How many of you guys think it's all his money? Raise your hand. One. No, come on, Jim. Yeah, yeah. There's always a comedian in the group. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope, uh, if that's you, uh, you know, I'm sure you're thinking right now, I hope he never finds out that it's me. And I probably won't. Uh, but if I could, <laughs> I would tell you, um, you know, I'm sure you think, well, there's other extenuating circumstances. There's other things that you don't know about, Brett. My wife is a jerk, and she does this, and she does that, and she sits around and watches soap operas and eats cherry bonbons all day and never takes a shower and never, whatever it is. I've heard it all. I've heard it all. Uh, but, but these two things, just for a heads up, are not, uh, that's not the way to do it. It's not the way. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, I'm off topic here, but I'm just kind of covering some loose ends here. Um, but, uh, you know, the two shall become one flesh. Uh, and man, I wish we could promote stay-at-home moms. I, I really do. I, I think that's one of the reasons our country's messed up. I think that's why there's all kinds of uh, problems uh, in, in all around America as kids are growing up in single-home families and, and um, you know, kids are being raised by their daycare workers. And um, it's just, we're just totally messed up. The, the model of a mom staying at home and the man working, the only way that works is this is the mom stays at home and she's helping keeping the home, keeping the kids, you know, making the home a nice place. And, um, and then you are to, yeah, be the, the breadwinner, earn the money and stuff like that. But, but, um, but at the same time, Jesus said, in, in the uh, context, by the way, of work, Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in a day? In other words, Jesus made the point that there's, there's 12 hours in a workday. The eight-hour workday as American guys, that's just totally wimpy, uh, goofy stuff. And we've believed it. Uh, we've believed that, oh, yeah, you only can work eight hours. Then you need to check out and sit on the, on the, you know, the couch and watch TV or whatever. Uh, no. Uh, no, you got 12 hours a day, and, and you get one day of rest. <clears throat> one day of rest, 12 hours a day. So that means you work eight hours, and then you have four whole hours to mow the lawn, take out the trash, do the dishes with your wife. Uh, I know, uh, I don't do that very often. I'll just confess the dishes thing, but I do a lot of other things because uh, uh, I don't think my wife likes me. I tend to break dishes, uh, not purposely. And I know you're like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to break dishes, and then she won't. 
Uh, no, no. But the idea is uh, the two are one. You know, um, every penny that I've earned, I almost consider it more Debbie's than mine anyway. Um, because the only way I can do what I do is because Debbie does what she, what she does. Um, the church has no idea what, you know, what, what Debbie does so, to make it so that I can do what I do. And uh, I feel bad for my wife in a lot of ways. In fact, any pastor's wives, I think they're uh, underappreciated. You know, Debbie comes into church as a single mom, really. She, for years, she carried the kids in, and I was here doing multiple services and talking to people. And uh, I can count on one hand how many times Debbie and I drove to church together. But she'd come in and hold, and she'd walk in and, and, and greet her at the door and say, welcome to the fellowship. Are you new here? She's like, no, that's my husband up there. And he's my pastor. And he's the pastor. And, you know, it's, it's amazing what my wife has had to put up with over the years and, and criticisms. And a lot of people that are wimpy and won't talk to me face to face, it's amazing how bold they'll be with Debbie, my wife. Uh, and um, if you've ever done that, you've probably heard from me because uh, I don't like that. Uh, you want to see me get fired up? Just mess with my, I, I don't use the term that Samson used. Somebody's been plowing them by heifer. I don't say that, but, uh, but that's the way I feel a little bit sometimes. Uh, like, don't be messing with my wife. Um, she deserves all the credit, and every dollar that I've earned, I consider it hers. You know, it's, it's for her. It's, it, it's so that she can be happy. And, and, um, and, and really, we, we consider our, our financial thing, that's just both of us together. We, we do our budget together. We pray through our budget together. We make decisions together. Um, there's none of this, you know, this is mine, and that's yours, and none of that. Um, you, I think it's, you're married to, to, be, uh, to be together. Uh, so, uh, like, this is just one example of things I hear, you know, that uh, uh, kind of makes me, that, that one makes me cringe a lot. Uh, so, uh, if, if that's you and you're saying, Brad, I, I have some other, there's another side to that story. Man, I'd love to have coffee with you. If this is you, now, now there's probably like 30 guys, okay, Brad, we need to have a meeting. <laughs> it's like Judas around the table. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? Am I the one whose wife said that? Maybe it's something for you to think about. Uh, be that as it may. What I wanted to talk about uh, separately today uh, is ministry. Would you turn to uh, the book of John? We're going to start in John chapter 15. Verse 16. So verse 16 is kind of our object uh, of our study a little bit here, but I'm going to kind of give you a little context of verse 16. So keep kind of 16 sort of highlighted in your mind. And let's start actually in verse um, verse 12. It says in John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So the context here is love uh, of the Lord and the friendship of the Lord and how we're to love one another as the Lord has loved us. And then he gives us this great, amazing uh, de declaration that, that we're not just servants or slaves of the Lord, but we know him personally. It's a, it's a friendship, love relationship we have with the Lord. 
But because of that, we do serve him, not out of uh, just duty or obligation, but because we're friends and we have a relationship. And, and because of that, he's, he says there in verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and have ordained you, ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. There's a few words I'd like you to mark there or maybe jot down in your notes that, that are kind of key there. The first word is uh, uh, chosen. Um, uh, the, the Greek word for that is eklegomai. Uh, uh, eklegomai. Just remember, legomai ego. Uh, eklegomai. Uh, <laughs> that's the way I remember it. And it's a word that, um, it, it actually is kind of a cool word, chosen in this context to be, uh, to select, but specifically to prefer over another choice. You've been preferred over another choice. That's kind of an interesting thing that the Lord has chosen you. Um, do you remember, and I don't think they do this as much, as much in, in uh, PE. I think they do it on the playground with the kids when the teachers aren't around. But you remember when you used to choose teams and everybody would line up and uh, the two coolest, sportiest kids would get out there and then they'd choose. The, and you, you know, if you're a great athlete, you're the first one chosen. Uh, or if you're popular or whatever. But if you're the not-so-great not athlete, you were the one, always the last guy, and everybody's like, you take him, and whatever, you can have him. Uh, it, was, it was like, a, it was kind of a brutal, brutal thing uh, for kids and what have you. And, um, but, you know, um, the idea is the Lord says, I have chosen you. Now, some of you might say, but Brett, what if I'm the, the, the goofy kid that nobody ever chose? What if the Lord doesn't like me? Well, um, there's only one way to find out. And that is, um, if you are a Christian, if you have accepted Christ and you uh, have, have spoken with your mouth, I believe in Jesus Christ, and you've confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart that the Lord Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose from the grave, then guess what? He chose you. Yeah, but I chose him. No, he chose you. Uh, it's divine election. It's predestination. Uh, yeah, but Brett, then why would I choose? And it gets into this huge uh, debate that people have that I think is kind of goofy. Um, God just knows everything, and he knew if he was going to choose you. Well, how do you know if you're chosen? Well, if you choose to believe, but you chose to believe, and people get all upset about that topic. But that's the way you can know if you've been chosen, is if you have confessed and believed in your heart, then you can know, well, the Lord must have chosen me before the foundations of the earth. And I'm okay with that. But if you're saying, I don't know about that, and I, I think, uh, how do I know God chose me? And I don't know if I really believe in this whole thing of Christianity. Then you may not be chosen. But I don't like that. Well, then be chosen and accept Christ. You see, that's the thing. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's God's sovereignty and human responsibility, and people debate all that stuff. Um, all I know is this. The reason they've debated it for millennia is because it is, it is kind of outside time, space, the laws of physics. God goes outside of that, and, and it's not hard for me to figure that part out. Um, and, and I also know what the Bible tells me to do, that I'm supposed to choose, uh, and I'm going to choose to believe or not believe, and I'm going to do whatever the Lord's given me for the responsibility He's given me. I'm going to be faithful in that. I'm going to make sure I'm doing the best I can in that. Um, and then, and then worry about whatever cosmically divine election predestined. I'm going to let him worry about that because uh, he's sovereign and he knows all things. And I'm good with that too. So I'm in a good spot. I know that I'm chosen. I know that when I was five years old, I chose to believe. And I've not really looked back ever since. 
uh, and I and I've you know I've looked at the scriptures. I've I've heard the atheists. I've heard all the the arguments, and I still just would say, man, my faith has not been shaken or moved. I'm I must be chosen. God chose me. So when when it says He chose me over another, that's that's just the radical truth of the Bible. Um, another uh, number two definition is to make a special choice. Uh, to make that, the the word uh, eklegomai. It means uh, to make a special choice or to perform over another choice. Kind of cool definition there. Um, and that's, that's important for you to find out. Am I chosen? If you're a Christian, if you have accepted Christ and you believe, then I believe you are chosen. The second word in that, you know, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and have ordained you. That's the second word, ordained. Um, uh, and uh, that's, that's more... Uh, Titimai is the word there in the Greek, and it means to put or place in a location, to appoint, or to deposit, like to put in a bank. Um, it, it's like um, because you have value, you're being put in a special place. Um, that's what ordination is. <clears throat> you know, we use the word ordination, and it only, in a lot of our circles, it means that you're an ordained minister. And what does that mean? <clears throat> you know, it's interesting today. Uh, you know, the licensed minister is kind of a joke, in my opinion. When I was a kid, you used to have to do something or know something or be connected to someone to have a license to marry and bury. You know what I mean? Like, if you were going to be a licensed minister, you had to be connected to a legitimate church. And it's funny, because even the county seat would make sure, you know, are you linked to this church? Do you have signatures of pastors who are in the ministry? Like, it used to be a big deal. Um, but congratulations, State of Oregon. Now, uh, if you have a pulse, you can be a licensed minister. Uh, you can be the Church of Elvis minister and do marriages and weddings. And what a joke. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm finding myself in weddings. I used to say, by the authority given to me by the State of Oregon and the authority of Jesus Christ, I pronounce you man and wife. Now, I'm leaving the Oregon part out because Oregon's lame. Uh, and really most of the licensing and all stuff, it's lost any credibility in my mind. So now, by and large, I'm just saying, by the authority of Jesus Christ, I pronounce you man and wife. Um, and um, I- I'm really disappointed uh, where we've taken marriage. It's interesting, by the way, um, uh, you know, Timothy talks about in the last days, perilous times would come. And uh, there's going to come a day where it says there, uh, there's the forbidding of eating meat in the last days. Uh, man, those are tough times, man. I, forget Armageddon. Uh, in the last days, you won't be able to have meat. And also, they'll forbid people to marry. And I used to read the meat part and go, man, you know, no way. But now that I live in Portland, I kind of see it. I walk into Whole Foods, and I think, these are the people <laughs> that are going to one day make us all be uh, herbivores or whatever. Um, but, uh, but, but the marriage thing, I never got it. Like, I was like, man, how's the whole forbidding of marrying going to work? You know, what's inter- interesting is there was a study done just a few weeks ago I saw that um, millennials are just bailing off of marriage altogether. The, the millennials are not getting married. Um, they're waiting much, much longer, but a lot of them just aren't marrying. They're just living with people until they get tired of them, and then they move on to the next one. And, they're, they're, you know, they're like, you know, in Sweden, uh, we have the Ashmans uh, over there, a missionary family, and uh, boy, I pray for those guys. They're ministering to the um, Muslims that are crossing over from Syria into Sweden. Uh, it's quite a ministry, and, you know, there was just a big terror attack there the other day. Uh, yes, was that yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Um, and um, anyways, they were talking about how marriage is just non-existent in Sweden. 
Um, uh, the way they have children in their communities is they, you know, um, they, they try to figure out, well, genetically, you and I make a pretty good match. Why don't we have a child and we'll make a contract and uh, our village, our town, will sort of agree to raise this child as a community. And um, that's the way they do it over there. And, and the child may not even live with the mother or the father. It's just like this whole different way of doing what they would call raising a child. There's no family. There's no husband and wife, father and mother. It's, it's um, take the village, that whole, that whole thing. Uh, and, um, you know, it's just kind of a bummer. It's a bummer that that's the way the world's going. But with gay marriage and the, the, you know, the heated debate that was on that that our Supreme Court decided you know, a year and a half ago, um, all that stuff, you know, everybody's so up in arms about the whole thing. I, I could see easily a point where basically marriage is just made illegal. Where you know, do whatever you want, but marriage is no longer a thing. And it makes me see the end times. It's one of those many hundreds of things that I see that are pointing to the fact that we might just be living in those perilous times of the last days. Let's see. One thing about the men's thing, I'll just give you a heads up. I like to go on rabbit trails with you guys uh, on, on Saturday morning, so I'm just going to confess right now. Uh, so from time to time, I'll have to reel back in and say, now where were we? Oh, yes, ordination. <laughs> ordination. Uh, so, you know, you've been deposited into a place of value, like a bank. That's the Lord saying, you've, I've chosen you and I've put you in a place. Uh, that, that, and what's the place meant to do? Well, this is what our verse tells us. You've, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. In other words, your fruit is, is not supposed to, you know, wither away and, and rot. I would argue that the fruit of our labor apart from the Lord is very uh, short-term fruit. Man, the fruit flies come and the brown bruising of the banana or whatever, the apples or whatever, it starts getting gross and smelly. That's the fruit of this world. But the Lord says the fruit, when you're, when you're ordained by me and chosen by me and put in this place, the fruit that you're gonna have is gonna be good fruit and the fruit will remain. It's gonna be long lasting, enduring. Um, and, and so this is the, the point of this. Congratulations, brothers. You guys are all ordained by God. You're ordained ministers. Oh, Brett, you're the minister. We're, we're the congregants. You're the minister. No, uh, that's a misnomer. The word minister has become this, this thing that means something. depends on, you know, how you were raised or whatever. But it's funny how the word minister has become this thing. I'm a minister of the gospel. And the word minister holds sort of some kind of a thing. Now, it's a thing, if you hate the Lord and hate churches and stuff, then a minister is like a bad word. But if you're a Christian and you're raised in the church, a minister means, oh man, that's, that's a man of the cloth. You don't mess with the minister. Hide the beer, the pastor's here. You know, the minister. Uh, it's like, they gotta be holy around the minister, you know, and, and, and it's, it's this funny thing. And we've, we've sort of delineated the word minister to mean some guy who's put in a position uh, or whatever. But the word minister, the, the, the real, the Greek word, the original word, it really is um, just servant. It's linked to the word deacon, by the way, uh, deacon. Uh, the word deacon, it, it's just a place, uh, the deacon in the church is, is to be a minister in the area of just service, serving the Lord. Um, it's interesting because ministry can be deacon-type ministry, but it can also be elder-type ministry. In Acts chapter 6, the way the early church uh, subdivided the leadership was really simple. The elders, they were all busy um, tending tables and like logistically helping the widows. And they were busy, so busy trying to care for the hurting in their congregation, they had no time to minister the word and no time to pray. 
So the Lord gave them that, that ministry of the deacon where the, the congregation would select able men who were who called deacons. The word is minister, servant. And they were to, to do the practical, just caring for the congregation uh, and making sure the congregation was tended and cared for, that the communion table was set up, uh, that the cars were parked uh, okay, and, and that the tithes and offerings were collected in an orderly fashion, and, and that the, 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 just the daily ministration, that was done by the deacons, the ministers. But then there was a second tier, the elders, they were to be given to the ministry, still ministers, but they were to be given to the ministry of what? Two things, anybody? Prayer and the Word, exactly. They said, we will give ourselves continually to the ministry of prayer and the Word. So the Word. So the elder was prayer and the Word, the deacon was practical needs of the congregation so that the church needs were met. Both were ministers. But I would make this argument that everyone in the congregation was called to be a servant, to serve one another. We're told over and over to serve one another. Jesus himself modeled such service there in the Gospel of John when he stripped himself of his, his, his robes and, and uh, girded himself with a towel and he just went around the table and started washing the disciples' feet. Um, Jesus did that as an example, as a model of what it's supposed to look like. Um, you know, it's funny how the idea of ministry, we all kind of say that's for somebody else. That, that's, that's for the ministers. That's for the deacons in the church. That's for the, you know, for, for Pastor Brett to do. Um, you know, we have a church of 3,500 to 4,000 people. Um, and our staff has grown, I have to say. We still have a small staff for the size of church that we have, um, uh, for sure. But, uh, but still, you know, I have a staff, they work hard, they do great, and they, they do their best to tend the body. But with the amount of people that we have, I feel sometimes like we're shooting elephants with a BB gun. We need some, some heft, man. We need some ministers who are not professional ministers. Uh, I've got professional ministers, and they're good ones. Uh, they do it for a living, if you would. And uh, the Bible even condones and encourages that. Um, you know, and the, you're, 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 uh, you can take care financially to have staff people in ministry. But the mistake that happens with churches, and especially the bigger the church, the worse it gets, where you say, well, that's for the staff. The church staff does that, and I get to just kind of chill and not minister or serve in any way, shape, or form. Now, now um, I have to say, I'm so thankful for all the volunteer people that we do have at Athe Greek. Man, we got so many great dudes. I, I'm kind of always blown away at, at how many ministers. You know, we have, a, we have more than 250 um, people that volunteer to serve in the children's ministry in Sunday school. That's a lot of people. And they faithfully serve. And, and I just love it. Like the caliber, like, uh, and, and the different people. We, we have, you know, just great dudes, uh, j- just just caring for our kids. Uh, you know, I, I just have to say, it's, it's so cool to see some of you guys in there with kids. And, you know, like I know, I know who you are as guys and brothers and uh, the, just the caliber of kind of guys we have. And uh, some of you guys have some crazy stories. And uh, 20 years ago, they would have said, no way, we were not gonna let you in a children's class. But, uh, but now look at you and you're there and, and uh, you're one of the kids' favorites and, and you're, you're there serving the Lord, you know. And we've, we've got uh, every end of the spectrum in there. Um, you know, I see out in our parking lot guys directing traffic. And um, if you guys, you know, if the church only knew the caliber of guy that they're blowing off in the parking lot, 
You know what I mean? It's like, it's like uh, these are great men. Uh, we, we've got great men out there direct, directing traffic and people going, whatever, I'm not going to listen to you. But if they knew who that guy was, they'd probably be like, okay, just tell us where to go. We'll do whatever you say. Like, we have great dudes out there uh, directing traffic. Like, people that I, I'm almost embarrassed they're out there directing traffic. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, but, so I, I love that we have men that are taking ministry seriously at Athey Creek and serving. And there's so many, so many ways to do that. Uh, um, and, and that's one of the main things I want you to go away with today is that, man, you're called to the ministry. The question is, what area? What, what special place has the Lord put f- for you to be deposited in where you can bring forth good fruit? Um, and that's kind of a big one. So that's, that's important. So the ministry. Now go with me to Acts chapter 20, and I want to show you uh, a, a quick thing about how we're supposed to minister. Because before you can maybe determine what ministry you're to be in, you might want to look at how we're called to be a minister. And, and Paul lays down sort of the blueprint for the minister. What is a minister supposed to do? What is he supposed to act like? Um, uh, what's his deal? And uh, this is one of the ones I learned early as a kid. My pastor sat me down once and said, Brett, I want to show you something about ministry. And this has been a life changer for me. This is the, this is the list I go to to check and see if m- my ministering is legit. Um, you can get derailed pretty quickly and do other things for other reasons and have wrong inclinations and wrong motivations. Uh, but Acts chapter 20, Paul the apostle sits down uh, with the elders of the church at Ephesus. Um, and if you know Ephesus, they had their issues. Um, and these elders, Paul just, for whatever reason, I'd like to know why Paul went through all this with them. There's probably a good reason. He said, hey guys, let me tell you how I ministered among you. <clears throat> so that, uh, you know, and they're, he's going to give them all this stuff. I wonder what the deals were. Like, I'm sure there's stories that he, Paul could have said, I'm actually addressing issues here within the church at Ephesus. Um, by the way, <clears throat> question, uh, when you're done reading the Bible, what do you go away with the church of Ephesus? What was one of their, what was one of their weaknesses or problems? Anybody? Yes, they left their first love. That's what they go down in. That, you know, the, the seven churches, the book of Revelation, uh, he says, Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, I have this against you, Jesus said, that you've left your first love. Um, now, by the way, they, um, they also uh, were commended for being doctrinally sound. They had strong doctrine, and they even had a test they would give to people. If you came into the church and said, we'd like to minister in your church, they'd say, okay, take this test, and we'll grade, give you a grade. If you pass, you can minister here. If you fail, we're going to kick you out of the church. <laughs> that's, that's what the early church uh, writers talked about the church in Ephesus. And, and Jesus commends them that you have held the true doctrine. You've not moved from that. So that was their commendation, but their correction was that they left their first love. These are the brothers that started this whole thing. It's kind of interesting, and Paul sits down. It's, it will start there in verse 17, Acts chapter 20, verse 17. It says, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. 
and how I kept nothing back that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that you uh, all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. By the way, the word overseer there is episkopos, which is a governing elder in the church. Uh, Made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. And I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that, he should, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to his ship. I love this for so many reasons. It's a snapshot of Paul and the elders in the church at Ephesus. And do you get the sense that they're, they're seriously tight bros? I mean, these guys, they just love Paul. And Paul's saying, guys, I'm not going to see you anymore. I'm going to Jerusalem, and I don't know what's going to happen to me there. But everybody kind of knows, nobody's saying it here, but everybody knows, if you go to Jerusalem, Paul, you're dead. They're going to kill you. And they would. Um, and so when, they, when he says, you're not going to see me again, they all kind of knew what that meant. And so he gives them this great word. What a, what a powerful word. It's worthy of study. And, and this whole thing, we could spend, you know, really weeks of study on this uh, verses 17 through 38. Um, but, but I love this because it's a snapshot of Paul and how he ministered to them. And, and really the implication is how you and I are to minister in the church with other people. And I'd like to jot down a few, several highlights of, of particularly the first part of this that I think are valuable. First of all, number one, what was Paul doing? Number one, he was serving the Lord, serving the Lord. In ministry, it's such a key. It says there in verse 19, verse 1, here's how I've ministered to you, serving the Lord 
with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations. Um, one of the keys to ministry, this is so huge, and, and I can't emphasize this enough, when you serve, when you're ministering as a staff member or a pastor or a volunteer or a minister in your own home, by the way, that's a big one. <clears throat> if, if you guys walk away with nothing <clears throat> to do with ministry at Athey Creek, that's okay. I'm not even really asking for that. I'm just asking for you to consider where does the Lord want you to, you know, he's deposited you into a bank of fruitfulness somewhere. Where is that? Is it your own home? Because uh, I think that's where most of our, our, all of our ministries really start and should flourish. If you're not ministering in your own home, you're not going to minister anywhere else very, very well. Um, so it starts there, and maybe it's at work, maybe it's a, a, in, you know, young life, or, you know, I love to hear some of the things that are going on at Athey Creek. There's all these, you know, Bible studies and youth leaders, you know, J.J. Bittner, I've, I've been hearing all this great stuff that he's doing with F FCA, and I used to be a huddle coach in FCA, and, um, and I love how J.J.'s just taken to a whole other level, like he's ministering so radically to these hundreds and hundreds of kids. It's an amazing thing that's going on with J.J. and others, but um, I could go on and on of guys that have ministries, um, but, but here's the thing. It's so important to know you're not serving Young Life. You're not serving Athey Creek. You're not even serving your family or your wife or your kids. You are serving the Lord. And the reason that's so important is because when Young Life lets you down, when Athey Creek gives you problems, when Pastor Brett was a jerk to you, when uh, your wife doesn't like you anymore, when your kids rebel against you, when you have troubles here and there and everywhere, it doesn't shake you in the area of ministry because you're not serving a church or a ministry or even your family. You are serving the Lord. When you serve the Lord, what God thinks about what you're doing is really all that matters. Too many people, when they get burnt out in ministry, the first thing I, I can tell that they've done is they forgot that they were serving the Lord. They were looking for a pat on the back from people. They were looking for the accolades of men. They were hoping that people would be really impressed with what they were doing. And they were serving their own ego or their own pride or hoping for, you know, uh, you know a, a trophy or a plaque or something. But that's going to let you down every single time. Every time. Um, you know, in youth ministry, I had to learn that very early because, you know, you could just pour your heart into youth as a, as a youth pastor, as a children's pastor. Man, I, I, you know, I worked hard at just saying, how can I pour into these kids? But, you know, what happens when the kids don't listen to you? What happens when the parents don't, aren't thankful that you just, you know, spent, you know, two hours wiping their snotty nodes kids and they could care less? And they don't say, thank you so much for spending this time wiping my snotty nose kids' nose. Uh, they, don't, they don't say that. Uh, it's amazing to me uh, that parents don't really acknowledge sometimes what volunteer people are doing in the Sunday school or whatever. But, uh, but if that were why I was doing for the accolades of men, then I would have quit long ago. And not only that, the, the ratio of success is not always that great. You know, Jesus gave us the one in four ratio of the sower of the seed. Remember, one fourth of the seed is only the seed that brought forth good fruit. You know, that means three quarters of the seed that, that, that was sown by the sower uh, was either choked out or plucked up or trodden down or whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's important to know this. And I always go to Jeremiah. You guys know Jeremiah as the, the, the weeping prophet. 42 years of ministry and not one person listened to one word he said. Not one person. What fueled him? What, what was it that, that, that kept him going, man? You know, he'd preach and then they'd throw him in a pit. 
Then they pull him out and they preach again and then they stick him in some mud and make him stand waist deep in mud for months. And then, you know, on and on, poor Jeremiah, you know, I love Jeremiah, you know, chapter 20, verse 9, where Jeremiah says, I, I, I decided I'm never going to speak your word again, Lord. But then I had this burning in my, in, the, in my bones where I could not refrain from teaching and sharing the word anymore. Jeremiah knew that it wasn't about his success rate in ministry. It was just that he'd be faithful serving the Lord. That's the key. You won't burn out if you're serving the Lord. You will burn out if you're serving people and hoping to make them happy and to have the accolades of men. Even the most successful pastors I've noticed uh, in my conversations, they feel like failures. And uh, that's why, you know, the average pastor lasts only two years in the pulpit. The average pastor lasts two years. Why? I think largely it's because they forgot that they're serving the Lord. They're not serving their congregation. Now, serving the Lord often means serving the congregation. But when your motivation is to serve the Lord, it keeps you in the right frame of mind. When people hate you, when people despise you and don't like what you're saying or doing and criticize you on every corner, if you're serving the Lord, you can say, whatever, I'm serving the Lord. I hope you know that that's a real key in any level, any form of ministry that you're serving the Lord. You know, Romans chapter one, verse one, Paul starts out as he does in many of his epistles. He says, um, Paul the apostle, a servant of the Lord. He, he would always make that part of his thing. And, and the word servant there is doulos in the Greek, which means bond slave, a slave by choice. And when you become a minister in ministry, serving the Lord is your key. That's such a huge thing. Um, you're not serving, you know, your children. You're not serving your wife, you're serving the Lord. Um, and then you pray and hope that as you serve the Lord, that, that then the good fruit that is gonna be lasting will come in your children, in your wife, and in your ministry, whatever you have. So serving the Lord, that's the first thing, verse 19, serving the Lord. But the next phrase is, is key as well. Serving the Lord, chapter 19, verse one, or pardon me, chapter 20, verse 19, Serving the Lord, number two, with humility of mind. That's number two, humility of mind. By the way, what's the difference between humility versus humility of mind? Well, as you think about that, humility can look really good on the outside. You know, oh, it's not me, it's just the Lord. Have you ever heard somebody say that? That was a popular phrase when I was a kid. The church, you know, uh, somebody would sing a song in front of the church and be like, oh, that was a great song. It's not me, it's just the Lord. Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that good. The song wasn't that great. Um, it was okay. But, uh, it's so funny. You know, it's not me, it's just the Lord. Now, now there's this thing where we can act humble, um, but it's the, there's a difference between acting humble versus having humility of mind. That means in your own mind, having real humility as it relates to you know, who you are and your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with other people. Um, you know, one of the big problems in ministry is when we start to think we know something. We know more than the other guy. And you know, we get all fired up and all upset about stuff and we think we know. I'm trying, the older I get, I'm trying to um, be uh, better at this one because um, it's not, you know, it's not that I, I struggle as much, I don't think, with, um, you know, thinking that I'm all that great because truthfully, 
Um, my form of humility is different. It's, it's like I go home most of the time feeling like I totally messed up the sermon. Debbie has to talk me off the cliff every, you know, Sunday afternoon. Uh, it's, it's just the truth. But, but even that's kind of pride in an ugly and stupid way. So I'm not saying, but this idea of humility of mind, um, what I really pray for myself is, is that I, I don't think that I, I've been in ministry now for, you know, however many years, serving the Lord for, you know, years and years and years, and, and, and not being open to other people and their ideas and their opinions and things like that. It's, it's harder. The older you get, the longer you've been in ministry, you kind of feel like you know something. But humility of mind really does prefer other people over yourself, esteeming others as better than yourself. And Paul, if anybody could have said, I know more than you, it's Paul. Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was the guy who uh, was schooled by Gamaliel. I mean, that was like, that'd be like you going to school, you know, with Albert Einstein. Um, and people say, well, you must know something if Albert, you know, schooled you. Uh, that's, that's Paul. Gamaliel was the dude. That's why today, by the way, you know, all the Greek uh, scholars of, of Greek uh, epics, uh, epics, you know, or the... Um, you know, like the Odyssey and the Aeneid and uh, all of Homer's works, even those guys know that Paul's form of Greek that he uses, especially in certain places, is the highest level of Greek in anybody in the history of the world. Like Paul, Paul used, a, 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 he was an intellectual. And uh, even today, I, I had to read uh, Acts, the book of Acts uh, when, when I was in Southern Oregon University. Um, a few chapters in the book, Mars Hill, that whole dissertation. Uh, one of my secular godless professors down there at the uh, Southern Oregon University uh, made us read that because Paul used some of the f most flowery language uh, in that uh, message to Mars Hill there in the book of Acts. Um, so, so Paul was smart, but he was, an, he was the one who said, but we need to prefer others and esteem others as better than ourselves. Uh, and he says here, I serve the Lord with humility of mind. Man, that's a key element to a good minister. Number one, serving the Lord. Number two, humility of mind. <laughs> some, some people are legends in their own mind. You, you know those guys? Uh, man, uh, and, and the problem is the guy that is a legend in his own mind, he's the last guy to see it, that, he, that he's thinking that way. You know, I, I hope we... Uh, are careful. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul talks about these guys who went around with vain jangling. That's a word we don't use very often, vain jangling. I think we should bring it back. Uh, people vain jangle all the time. Sounds like a band or something. Hey, let's put on some vain jangle. Uh, <laughs> that'd be a great name. But uh, be that as it may, uh, you know, self-conceit is nothing but self-deceit. And uh, Paul's one who says that's a real part of ministry is humility of mind. Number three, he says, with humility of mind, and then thirdly, with many tears, many tears. The question is, were they literal tears or were they figurative tears? Did you know, if you study tearology, uh, which I have actually, did you know in ancient times, ancient, ancient times, like back in the um, Spartans and uh, the Athenians and the Medes and Cyrus and Darius and all that, did you know that crying was actually viewed as very, very manly. Um, it's funny how, you know, because that's so contrary to our culture. Um, now, I'm, I have to admit, I'm one of those guys that I have a hard time listening to pastors that cry all the time. I'm just that guy. And I'm sorry, John Piper is a great dude and all that, but he cries all the time. Like, like you know, it's, it's hard for me, you know, and, and, and uh, um, it's just who I am. Now, 
Nature versus nurture, that's the question. Did I get that because I was around men that just didn't cry ever? Um, and, um, or, or um, because it's not that I'm not passionate about stuff. Um, I, I do feel deeply. And there's been a few times in my life where I've been totally caught off guard. Uh, it actually surprises me when I feel like I'm going to tear up or something. I'm like, oh no, man. And then, and then I feel really like, what's going on? This, what is this sensation? Uh, uh, it's weird for me. Uh, I do it rarely enough. Um, but here's the thing. Um, the Lord has had to kind of change my heart on this is, you know, Paul the Apostle had a tearful ministry. Um, Jesus wept. Shortest verse of the Bible. You got that one memorized. Jesus wept. I wonder if that's just one verse. The Lord just allowed that to happen to make sure we got that. And why did Jesus weep? You know, uh, when, when he was there at the tomb of Lazarus in the Gospel of John, um, that's a whole other good thing to wonder. Why did Jesus weep? Um, if Jesus is Jesus, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting question. But I think the reason Jesus wept there at Lazarus' tomb is mainly because of compassion. The reason Paul uh, shed many tears here um, is because of compassion. And, and we see that, not just here, but also, you know, he talks about that later on, even in this chapter where he says, man, I, you know, we, we've, we've, we've had compassion for you, and with our own tears, we've loved you in that kind of way. He says that several times uh, in his epistles. So having a compassionate heart, um, you know, that's something you need to pray for yourself. Lord, keep me from having a tearless ministry. While I'm the pastor that doesn't just burst into tears very often, um, uh, I don't want to become just the guy that's hardened and not caring and compassionate because that doesn't model Jesus very well. And Paul the Apostle wants us to be compassionate men. The Scriptures demand that of us, that we have compassion. Jesus talked about having compassion uh, for those that uh, are hurting. And um, it's, it's funny to, to, to be the John Wayne sort of American. Uh, there's never tears involved. And I think that's our culture today. If a man cries, people are really uncomfortable all of a sudden. And, and I have to admit, I am. I, I get uncomfortable when men start crying in a room, and I'm just like, oh, what do I do? Um, I had a phone conversation yesterday, seems like a week ago, um, with a guy who's going through some really hard things. And, um, and he just burst into tears, and he's like bawling on the phone. And at first, I had that initial like, uh, what do I do? He's crying. This guy's crying. I wanted to go, honey, <laughs> Debbie. Uh, but then the Lord reminded me of this, that, man, Lord, um, help me to weep with those who weep. That's what the Bible says we're supposed to do, weep with those who weep. And so I, I, I had to kind of change my heart and my attitude and say, Lord, give me the heart of compassion to minister in the same way that you would have in this case. Um, and this goes to some of the other sessions we've had about wives and marriage and and stuff. Man, I hope as, as men, we're, we're learning how to be better at being compassionate and gentle and loving with our wives especially. I think generally as a rule, we treat our wives not loving enough, not compassionate enough, not gentle. Um, but in ministry, that's one of the big ones, that we need to be have a tearful, compassionate heart is the idea there. Um, number four, um, when you're serving the Lord with humility of mind and with many tears, number four, and temptations. Did you see that right there? 
It says, we've served the Lord with humility mind, with many tears and temptations. Did you know that the more you get into ministry serving the Lord with humility mind and many tears, you'll probably have more temptations in front of you? Um, I, I, I really do believe the more radical you are for the Lord, the more radical Satan's gonna hate your guts. If you're not serving the Lord and if you're doing nothing for the kingdom of God, then Satan's gonna kind of go, let's just kind of leave this one alone. He's doing fine by himself. But when you start making a difference and sharing the gospel and doing what God calls you to do, don't be surprised when the evil one, now it's probably not gonna be Satan himself because he's not omnipresent. And you and I are probably not on his radar uh, he's not able to be everywhere at once like the Lord. Sometimes we give Satan godly characteristics. Bzz, gong, he can't do that. But he does have millions, perhaps, of uh, demons and fallen angels or whatever you want to call them. And uh, they're, they're busy at work and he's, 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 you know, the commander in chief. And I wonder, I do wonder if, if you start, have you ever noticed that when you really get a heart to do something for the Lord, how immediately you're attacked? Um, that's maybe why I don't like retreats that much. Uh, I, I, I always kind of don't want to go to retreats. And then once I go to a retreat, I'm like, I'm glad I went to that retreat. But then as soon as you get home, you're all fired up. Like, I'm going to serve the Lord, man. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to do that. And then you come home and, and something cataclysmic happened. Uh, or something right in front of you that makes you want to blow your top or get angry or disappointed. Or, and, and it's amazing. It's like clockwork. As soon as you start serving the Lord... Don't be shocked when the temptations come. Uh, ready yourself for that. Uh, if you're going to be a minister, be ready for the enemy to sort of do a counterattack. And you've got to have your game on, game face on. Um, speaking of game face, uh, I noticed with our dog Charlie. Charlie's a good dog. He's a golden retriever. He's one of those light, you know, they call him a white golden he looks like a golden retriever, but just really a light, light color. And, and he's a pretty good size golden. Um, and he's just a good dog. He's, you know, he's, he's getting older, but he still kind of acts like a puppy. But from the very day one, I've always cracked up because uh, he and I have this little thing. When I, when I um, bring him inside, I'll throw a little food into his uh, dish. And, uh, and I've got a few treats and stuff, and we play these games. But one of the games I like to play is, you know, I just make him sit right in front of his bowl. I put the food in the bowl, and then I just make him wait until uh, I, I say, go. And then when he says, go, he can, he can you know, go. And dogs are so smart, they can do this stuff. Um, but I'll do that with treats and stuff like that. Um, have you seen the guy on YouTube with his dog? And he, what, he stacks dog biscuits on his nose. And he stacks them like 20 levels high, and the dog's just holding it steady. <laughs> it's great stuff. But, um, but here's the funny thing about Chuckles, or Charlie, my dog. He... Uh, I'll put the food in, and I'll say, well, you know, wait. And he, and he just can't get himself to look at the food. He just looks up at me. And, and as soon as I put the food down, he just turns his head away. <laughs> he just can't look at it. And, and I, I realize he's doing that because he, if he looks at it, he's going to go for it. So he just turns his head. Uh, and I thought, learn from the dog. Learn from Chuckles, Charlie the dog, uh, because he's wise uh, man, you know, when the enemy lures something right in front of you, man, turn your eyes away. I will put my eyes on no evil thing, the psalmist said, and, uh, and turn away, man. Uh, the enemy wants to mess you up and, and take you out with many temptations. That's important. And then uh, quickly, uh, and then a few other things, verse 20, how I kept nothing back or kept back nothing that was profitable. And that's number five, I kept nothing back. Man, lay it out on the table. When you're in ministry serving the Lord, 
Don't hold back. Share the truth. Give them the word. Give them the whole word. Um, by the way, that's why we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible, um, because we don't want to um, uh, leave some of it out. Look at verse 27. I have taught, uh, I, he says, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. The sad thing is, honestly, is as good as some topical teachers are and Bible churches are, good churches, good teaching, all that stuff, I'm not knocking that, but I wonder if they can say we have taught all of what the Bible says. And I'm not saying this pridefully, I'm just saying I just want to check this box. I want to say we have declared all of the Holy Scriptures to the congregation. And don't be afraid to share the truth with people. That's, that's important, um, very key. Number six, and have showed you. That's what it says here. I've kept nothing back that was profitable unto you, but have showed you. Um, that's a huge one. If you're a servant of the Lord ministering, don't, don't be the old do as I say, not as I do kind of minister. Uh, you know, uh, the hypo- hypo- hypocrite kind of ministry where you're like, you know, uh, telling your kids to do one thing, but you're not willing to do it yourself. Um, I love how Paul says, I have showed you. He was demonstrating the things that he had, had taught them. Uh, man, I hope we're all doing that as brothers in whatever ministries we have. And then lastly, number seven for today, taught you. He says, I have showed you and I have taught you publicly and from house to house. That's the home fellowship ministry, by the way, house to house. Um, So I love how it was show and tell, but it was showing before telling. Uh, Teaching, he he was just doing, he was living the life before he ever started teaching it. I have showed you, and then I have taught you. I like that order there. You know, um, uh, here's the thing. Some of you guys probably think, well, Brad, I'm not a Bible teacher, and, and not all of you should be, be wanting to be teachers. Even the book of James says not, not all of you should desire to be teachers because, man, you're going to have greater condemnation, and I think that condemnation is probably talking about the judgment seat of Christ, not, you know, the death and hell, but all that to say um, not many should be officially Bible teachers, but... The Bible seems to indicate that we should all have a certain ability to handle the Word of God and be able to teach in season and out of season, being ready to share the Word at any given moment. Um, You know, in the Bible, Paul said, Timothy, be ready to teach in season and out of season. I remember Pastor Tad and I were coming back from a trip from Mexico with a bunch of kids and stuff, and we were just tired. I think we rolled in at like six o'clock that morning from a, you know, 24-hour drive in two big school buses. And we kind of rolled in, but we, we had to be at the staff meeting, you know, at 8.30. And, um, and so we, we, we got the kids all unloaded, got the parents gone, and we stumbled in, you know, just smelling like uh, tacos from Ensenada. Um, and, um, and Pastor John said, Tad, what do you have to share from the Word? Do you remember this, Tad? And Tad, Tad's like, and he turns them to Timothy and he says, um, the Bible teaches that we're to be ready to teach in season and out of season. He did this whole teaching on how you're to be ready to have a teaching in case somebody asks you to do a teaching. (laughs) And that was his teaching because he didn't have a teaching ready. (laughs) It was brilliant. It was a brilliant move, I thought. Uh, And everybody was chuckling because they kind of knew it was kind of a joke. But, but you know, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 says, for when the time you ought to be teachers... You have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. 
In other words, this is kind of, you know, the author of Hebrews, which I believe probably was Paul the Apostle, in my humble opinion. Uh, But he says, man, you guys are like nursing babies, drinking milk, when you should be chowing down at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, having a big old honking steak. Uh, and, and sadly, there's a lot of men in America who really can't handle the Word of God because they haven't been doing the work and maturing in their faith as a man of God so that they can be ready to share a word from the Word for someone else. One of the greatest things you can do, no matter what level of ministry you're in, if you're a pastor of a church or the pastor of your own home, uh, is to be a student of Scripture, learning the Word so that you can share the Word, having the Word of God on the tip of your tongues. You know, it'd be awesome, and, and don't, don't be afraid. I'm not going to call you probably. But what, what would, wouldn't it be great if, if, if I got sick one, one day and couldn't do a Wednesday night Bible study, and I could just call any one of you guys, and you'd have a word to share. You'd be ready to go. You got, you got one in the chamber, ready to go, lock and load. Now, now I'll just tell you, my, my uh, pastoral staff, they do. They do have teachings ready to go. And they've done the work. They've plowed through and have done the work to prepare teachings. And, and not only that, I ask my guys to keep them fresh. Don't just have one in the chamber from 20 years ago. Uh, let's keep a fresh word and, and be in the word enough to where you have a word to share. If I, I could ask one of my pastors right now to sit on this stool and they'd be ready to, to share a teaching. And that's what needs to be, not just with the pastor staff, I think that should be true for all of you guys. Yeah, but Brett, I'm not a public speaker. But you never know when God will tap you on the shoulder with that guy at work where he's suddenly open to something about what the Word says. And are you lock and loaded, ready to go? Do you have one in the chamber to share? Hey, you know, I was reading the Word this morning. I'll end with this story. I, um, I was uh, fairly new to the Portland area. I had a, a, little, uh, to, to, uh, a nice little white Toyota Tacoma. Great truck. I liked my Tacoma. Um, but I, I didn't know anybody, so I, I, um, I just went in the phone book and looked for a guy who would put a hitch, you know, on my Toyota. And so I found Hank's Hitches up near Hillsbury, uh, Hillsboro, and, um, <laughs> and, I, and I was ready to go up there and meet Hank. Drove in, there was, there was a bunch of bikers and guys around, and there was some, there was some you know, old farm equipment, and, um, and just kind of a, you know, just just sort of a low-key farm kind of biker sort of thing. I was like, this is kind of cool. Who's, who's this guy, Hank? So I go, and he's got this shop, and he's this, this huge guy, and he's, you know, and, and we're in there talking, and, and uh, he says, so what do you do for a living? You know, and I, I said, well, I'm a pastor, and he threw his wrenches down. Well, blankety blank. I mean, he said, I, he said, I you know, can't believe that. I wouldn't have thought you were a, a pastor. And then he said, you know, I was reading my Bible this morning. I was like, in my mind, yeah, right. <laughs> sure, the old pastor's here, you're reading your Bible. He says, yeah, I was reading the Gospel of Luke. And, um, and it was just kind of funny, we sat there and talked for a while, and I, I, I have to confess, I was like, yeah, that's what everybody tells the pastor, you've been reading the Bible. Well, we went in, we had a great time talking, and, and became good friends just in that short amount of time. And uh, went into his office, and sure enough, there's this big old Bible. It was all kind of, you know, stained with oil and WD-40 and stuff. It makes the pages turn nice, though, that WD-40. Um, he, he, uh, he, it was sure enough open to the Gospel of Luke on top of all his piles of paper, and he had, you know, can shaft over here and a bunch of other, but his Bible was open to the Gospel of Luke. I was like, he was telling the truth. And I thought, what a cool thing. Here's this guy. He's a little rough around the edges, but uh, man, he, he was really in the Word, and uh, he actually had something to share from the Gospel of Luke 
with me, uh, and it was encouraging. Um, and uh, man, and Hank and I have been friends ever since. It's kind of a cool thing. But uh, all that to say, uh, I hope that you're all in the Word, that you have a word on the tip of your tongue, showing and teaching, being able to minister. Now, I got to finish with this. Oh, I don't know. I wish I wasn't this late. I want to do some nice questions and answer time. But, um, but here's the thing. Um, don't look for a ministry to have everybody hand feed you with the ministry. Um, Brad, I, I'm, I'm stirred up. I want to be in ministry. So, so I'm going to come talk to you. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Uh, I don't have time to talk to all you guys about ministry. I, I don't have the ability to go to all of you guys and say, let me help you with that. But what we do have is a bunch of brothers who can work together, iron sharpening iron, and coming up with prayerful ideas and direction and vision. Man, you know those accountability groups that some of you guys are in where you're meeting together weekly and just, you know, use that. Or if you don't have that yet, find some guys and say, man, I want to be a ministry of some kind. I don't know what to do. Or what does it look like to be a minister in my own home and to do family devotions? And, you know, maybe go back on some of the old ironworks that you missed and, and download them and, and kind of catch up on some of those things about home and ministry and husbands and all that stuff. We've covered a lot of stuff. But, but um, the reason I say that is I always, after something like this, I get guys that are excited saying, okay, Pastor Brad, I'm here and available. Here am I. Send me. But I don't know what to do with you. Uh, I, I'm sort of joking, but I'm sort of serious in that um, it, it's too difficult. It's too difficult to try to get everybody going. Um, you know, you don't see in the Bible um, a lot of people going to Paul. Paul usually had like Silas or Timothy or Barnabas, and he was tapping into those guys, kind of giving them sort of the, the, the training. And, you know, like he said, Timothy, you're my son in the faith. Um, but, but the thing is, I wish that all of you guys, I, I hope that you older brothers and who have been walking with the Lord for years have sons in the faith at Athey Creek, where you're, where you're doing what they probably want me to do, um, that you're taking some of these young guys and saying, hey man, let's get together for coffee, let's talk about how is your ministry? What would you call your ministry? How, how would you define that and how are you doing with it? What about this Acts 20? If you hold your ministry up to this, are you serving the Lord with humility of mind, with many tears, you know, and, and showing and teaching and all that stuff? Compare it to that. But, but um, you know, maybe it's not just another guy even. Maybe it's just you being on your knees before God saying, Lord, show me what you want me to do. Show me where maybe I've been deposited by you into a place of ministry that I haven't even recognized. And you want me to bring good, good fruit that's lasting fruit that John talks about, but, but I haven't even really known that I'm there in a place of special ordination, that I've been called to this place. Maybe it's just you going to your knees and taking some time in prayer and saying, Lord, show me. Reveal to me what you want me to do. Show me how I'm supposed to do that. Um, I, I wish there were more brothers who are really, and I'm, I'm not saying this just because I'm lazy or I don't want to do pastoral work. Um, um, but who are really self-sufficient in seeking the Lord and, and looking to the Lord for what it is that he would have them to do. And the thing is, I know a lot of you guys are already doing that. I just, I just wish there were more guys uh, doing that and, and, and really being faithful to, to the call of ministry that God's given to them. So there's some things, some thoughts on ministry, uh, serving the Lord. That's what it means to be a servant, minister, um, and we're ministers of Jesus Christ. That's the key right there. Um, I'll 
I'll just give us a few minutes. Any, any pertinent qu- questions or additions or thoughts that uh, you guys want to uh, throw out at me about anything? Anything, Eric? But that's a good work, word. He says, some things are caught, not taught, and that's the truth. Um, you know, that's the showing and telling. You know, the, 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 he, he first showed them, then he taught them that order. It's the same thing. And, um, and you could teach till you're blue in the face, but if you're, if you're you know, cussing at the people on the road, you know, um, then don't be shocked when your son's cussing at the people on the road. Um, it's like the little kid, you know, that uh, um, said, Mommy, why do did, why, why did only the idiots come out when Daddy drives? <laughs> uh, that's painful when you're a father and, and you hear something like that. So, uh, yeah, that's very important. Yeah. Building a case against you. Ooh, that's a hard one. And people are good at that, man. People are good at building the case. Um, you know, uh, boy, that's a great question. I'm not sure I know the, the answer on that one. Let me, let me uh, give a thought. You know, the thing is, um, it depends on the relationship and the situation for sure. But when I've had people build their case, what, 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 what Tyler's talking about is we, you know, sometimes, you know, somebody thinks something ill of you or that you've done something wrong. And then it's like everything you do after that is part of them. Oh, see, there it is again. And they, and they build their case and make it airtight. Um, and the only thing I know is to, you can lovingly try to correct the direction, but you're probably going to have to take the hit like Jesus did and let them build their case. They built a huge, seemingly airtight case against Jesus there uh, that he had told them that he was going to tear down the temple. And like they lied. They had a whole case against him when they tried Jesus, but none of it was true. Um, and, um, and, and so Paul even talks about, don't think it's strange, you know, when, when you, know, you, you go through these fire trials and men persecute you and stuff like that. Um, I wish there was a better answer, uh, but I think that, that's a good one. The old, don't, don't be the case builder. That's something that I've learned in watching people build cases against me. Um, uh, I'm just like, wow, where did they get all of that, that stuff? Uh, and and, uh, and then I had to look at my own self and say, am I one who builds cases? Well, there's that guy again. And oh yeah, yep, there he is again doing that. It's easy to be a case builder, so yeah. Oh, the Case for Christ movie? Is it out in theaters? Oh, that'd be a good one. You're one of those crying guys. <laughs> he went and saw The Case for Christ last night. That, I love Lee Strobel's book, uh, Case for Christ. And uh, my daughter, Brooke, just got to meet him uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, she was at this thing in Florida and, and got to, he handed her a signed copy of Case for Christ. Um, if you haven't read Case for Christ, it's great. Lee Strobel was a journalist set out to prove the Bible wrong because his wife was one of those crazy Christians. Uh, and he was very analytical, real, really a sharp, brilliant guy. And he basically went all over the world and interviewed rabbis and pastors and everybody else and, um, and became a Christian in the process. And it's kind of a cool uh, book. So that's, that's good. So how long is the movie in theaters? Is it, is it one of those one night only things or? Oh, good. I'm going to have to go see that. That's good. That might even be a good Christian movie for once. Yeah. Yeah. Way back there. Is that race? Yeah. I'm about to cry. <laughs> no, no, seriously. I, I, like that is really cool race um, because uh, man, that's so important. How many of you guys are part of a group of guys right now that you hook up on a regular basis? Okay. Maybe half, maybe half. Man, I think race's word is a good one. And, um, and uh, the guys that do hook up with other brothers, 
there's a solidity there that's just uh, hard to match. And I just, I just would wish that for everybody. I know it's an awkward thing at first. And, and, and I would also say, just go out for coffee with a couple guys first. Don't say, you know, it's like a marriage or something. Uh, just go grab some coffee with a guy. Take all the pressure off. But if you happen to hit it off with a couple guys, man, keep with it. Stick with it. And maybe you'll do it for a season. Maybe it won't be a lifelong thing. Um, although I've seen the lifelong things be really cool. I, I know there's some brothers that really have stuck with it, and it's kind of cool. But I've heard a lot of good from the, every group that did form, I hear a lot of good. One more, then we gotta pack it up for, for the day. Uh, mini, mini, mo, Jay. So feel blessed that, 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 that a person's building an accusation, yeah. What is it, Matthew 5, 11. Huh, that's interesting, yeah, good. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, we, we, it's already way late, so let's, uh, let's pray uh, and then we'll close for the morning. Lord, we are thankful uh, for your word, once again, reminding us what ministry looks like from Paul the Apostle. And um, it's amazing how really all these things still work today, that, um, that people haven't changed that much um, to where these things aren't still totally true. And I pray for my brothers that they'd be faithful ministers, Lord. Um, may you show us where you've deposited us to bring forth good fruit. And I, I pray that good fruit would be seen. Um, Lord, we're, we're so blessed to be a part of, of this fellowship and, and see the good fruit that's happening, and I pray for more. I pray that you'd bless my brothers with a sense of, of doing what you've called them to do and that, that great feeling of accomplishment when we are just doing what you've asked us. Um, so bless my brothers with that. When the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, give us strength, Lord, I pray. And so as we go our way, I pray your blessing on the homes, the families, uh, the people that are represented by this group of men. Lord, we thank you for meeting us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.